G'day, it's Russell Howcroft here. I'm the Chief Creative Officer of the Sayers Group and a founding partner. At Sayers, we believe all business, all good business, starts with a fantastic conversation. So we thought, well, let's create a podcast and let's call it Conversations. We hope you enjoy this one. I'm really thrilled that we've got Nicole Sheffield here. Nicole is the Managing Director of West Farmers One Digital um, and one of the real superstars in the in the world of business in Australia. It's ace that you've made uh, you've made your way here to the Good One Studio. Well, thanks for having me, Russell. Good on you, Nicole. Um, now, Nicole, what we like to do is we we want well, I want to have the most comfy conversation that we possibly can have, and so we use the power of audio in order to try and <laughs> try and you know just create the atmosphere. So we're going to play you a few um, five, in fact, five sounds. And, all, and I just want you to think, you know, as you hear the sound, you just go, oh, that's good. I wouldn't mind being there, really. It's just pick the, pick the place that is most provocative for a conversation for you. So we'll hear the first one. Beautiful. So you and I, you and I, we're going to have a chat. But are we going to have a chat that's fireside, or we're going to be beach at a beach, a pub, sailing, forest? What do you want to do? Beach Beach. every day. (laughs) Because I never make it enough. Beach every day, exactly. So we'll just sort of get the towel out, (laughs) and we're just going to lie down. Any particular beach? I was, it was. I was thinking of Mykonos. We went there for (laughs) (laughs) for our twenty eighth wedding anniversary last year in June. It was pretty special. Oh well, I'm with you. Uh, Super Paradise, or just uh, there's Paradise Beach and Super Paradise, I think, isn't there at Mykonos? Yeah, I, I can't remember. I just, <laughs> it was just fantastic. The whole thing was brilliant. <laughs> it is a cracking joint. Okay, I'm happy to be. I'm happy to be in Mykonos with you in the lounge chair with the umbrella. Yeah, and um, well, Mythos, of course. We'd start with a Mythos, and then uh, Retsina. I think we might have had a. You had Retsina there. Oh, I think just so. the sort of the the local wine. I think. Yeah, I think that so. That Greek, the Greek <laughs> wine, which it's sort of. It, I don't even know whether – it's not really white or red. Sort of not really rosé, though. No, it's not rosé. We've had that before, you, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you should let's get on with stuff. Okay, yes. so West Farmers. Now, I mean, you, you just get online uh, and just check out West Farmers. So what have we got? We've got Officeworks, we've got Kmart. We've Bunnings. Got Bunnings. What else? Uh, Target. Yeah. Uh, Catch, which is in my world, yeah. and then we've got oh, West Ceph, which is West Farmers Chemicals Energy and Fertilizer, which is lithium, very big, yeah, and West Farmers Industrial and Safety as well. Uh, okay. okay, so it's pretty extraordinary. Extraordinary. Um, price line? Yes, an API price line. Flybys? Flybys, 50% joint venture with Coles. Okay, yes. and because of course Coles was in West Farmers but has been you know birthed elsewhere. Listed separately. Okay, right. fantastic. So how long have you been at West Farmers for? Well, it's it's eighteen months now. Okay, now West Farmers One Digital Managing Director. Um, I think I can sort of conceptually get it, but just give us a bit of a, uh, help me understand what that is. Yeah, so we launched the first of July um, last year, so we're pretty new in terms of giving birth. It's very new, um, but it's the pure play digital businesses for West Farmers. So West Farmers extraordinary. Um, big box retailer like the best there is and but obviously during COVID when a lot of the stores were shut down um, we had to get our digital skates on big time and the opportunity really 
presented itself to say we could actually be a leader in digital. So the the concept of a digital ecosystem Mm -hmm. was kind of um, shared by Rob Scott a couple of years ago. I was employed 18 months ago. Um, And we've been on the journey for a while. We bought catch.com.au about three years ago now. Um, We invested in our advanced analytics centre, which we now call One Data. And then last year in May, we launched our um, subscription program called OnePass that sits across Kmart, Target, Catch and Bunnings. Ah. And it gives you a whole lot of, um, you know, guest services, mainly the free delivery on your online um, purchases. So conceptually, that I can see how that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. But practically, my goodness me, how do you – like to actually build that must be quite difficult. Yeah, look, I think it was it, it was absolutely difficult because you're building something that is an API into other people's websites. So you're really building a platform. Right. And But everyone has – you know, when you're as big as Kmart and Bunnings, you have – very big digital audiences anyway. And so even though people are going in store, they're doing a lot of their research online, then they're going in store. So how you actually build that ecosystem so that it's truly kind of what we call omni-channel, so wherever the customer is, we are, does take a lot of work. I don't think we're there yet. We've launched and it's growing at a decent pace, but I think the ambition that we have this year to launch more and more features... Um, is pretty exciting. So is West, West Farmers One digital? That's an internal. That's internal. Can you imagine that at some point in time it's external? So I become a One Digital customer, and then I can go to various brands that you own. No, I think One Pass, the subscription program, is what. So you, that's what that yeah, does. Yeah, that's the consumer brand. So One Digital is like the holding company <laughs> right. for the um, catch One yep. Pass and One Data. Okay, so then One Pass, that becomes a very significant asset for the organisation. How does that then marry with flybys? Yeah, so flybys is a free loyalty program and that's really important. People earn and burn points effectively and that's – we're working hard to actually – connect flybys and OnePass so uh, and that'll be something that we launch later this year whereas OnePass is a paid subscription program so you know you, you start a trial for 30 days and then you start paying four dollars a month. So there's a couple of things that um, you talk about in your world all the time and I reckon I reckon I spent five years pretending that I knew what people were talking about. Right. So <laughs> uh, and I'm going to sound really dumb now okay but yeah. customer experience yep. uh, what is it? Well, customer experience is just making it really easy for customers. You know, it's about, you know, it really is about putting them at the centre of everything you do. And we, we try to do that, but actually we get it, get in the way of ourselves because we get caught up in the technology and the, you know, and now, as of course, we've got so many privacy um, things that we need to look at. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about the authentication and all the things that, you know, used to be just a swipe, now we have to think about, are, are we putting the power in the customer's hands and are we really making that experience as seamless as possible? Yeah. But is it a digital wor- word? So customer No, ex- I think it's it's everywhere. You know, right. I think over time the word digital, I mean, I don't even think it should exist because right. actually everything will be kind of digital, right? Right. And so it, it really is, it's the experience that you have whether you're in store, whether you're online, whether you're on your mobile, whether you're on your app. I mean, it's just, it should be constantly... It's, like, you know, we're old, so when we started it was called Customer Obsession, right. you know. Like, we kind of just – has evolved, but because of digital, it's put it really at the forefront. Okay, so then how does customer experience then – how does that then relate to the other one, which I pretended I knew what it was all about, omnichannel? Well, omnichannel is whatever channel the customer's at, you're there for them. Oh, okay. And so you, you might start – I mean – and that's really, if you take my area, um, you often will start the search for the product that you're after online, but you'll go in store to actually buy that product. Yeah. Now, what, for a customer, they just want to show their 
you know, app or their phone and say, I, I, I'm looking for this. And it actually, if it says that it's in that, in, in that store, it needs to be there oh. and it needs to be easy for you to get it. So I think wherever the customer is, you need to be, but Omnichannel actually takes, connects that experience. Yeah. One of the things, early days, early days of the digital marketing, I used to get really annoyed where, well, Google, Google would say that they, they were responsible for the sale. Um, yeah. and, and ignore the rest of the funnel. Yeah. So that must have come a long way now. Like you must have a pretty good understanding of how the customer journey through the funnel and be able to attribute what has worked at the awareness stage, at the desire stage and at the buy stage or maybe, or maybe not. Yeah, look, I think we got a much better understanding. In the early days, we just – attribution was just, what is that? Like, I don't even yeah. know where to start. Um, so, you know, it's the last click was where we, you know, said, oh, that works. And actually, the awareness, the discovery phase mm. – you know, I was a frustrated media executive at the time going, can you not understand how important that awareness right. and discovery is? Because before you search, you've got to know what you're looking for, exactly. right? Um, but So, we've come a long way, and I think marketers do think through the whole funnel. But, right. you know, I still think it is often difficult to – work out where that where the journey begins it's so difficult and i mean so you and i we're on a beach in mykonos right mm, now mm. now we've probably bought that online mm. but it strikes me as being thoroughly unfair for the for the platform to attribute the entire sale to their platform um in what way well well in that we've spent an entire life um dreaming uh, dreaming of our moment on the mykonos beach yeah. so there's so there's more to the sale there's more to the sale than the last click. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Right. There's there's so much more. But I, I think as well, um, understanding what that funnel is and how you can actually, you know, pull, you know, feed the top of the funnel, right? Yeah. You know, like, I mean, that's what everyone forgets that's really important. And actually having a program like OnePass, which is brand new, like so people don't even know what it is, and yet you're with, um, you know, a 130-year-old Australian iconic company where has powerful brands like household names like Bunnings, mm. and you've, you're the little kind of startup. You still have to work really hard to get that awareness going and get that funnel going. Yeah. Um, and so how you do that really depends on who your customer is, how you, you know, uh, you know actually appeal to them in what environments you want you know all those sort of standard things that we learned 25 yeah. years ago Russell I know so well this is where I'm going with all of this is that so the idea 50% of my budget's wasted I just don't know which 50% that yeah. that old quotation yeah. I've always thought that that's actually because 50% of what a marketer does is actually magic yeah. it's, it is actually it's not therefore spend 50% less yeah it's recognizing and celebrating the fact that there is a magical element to 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 what we do yeah the top of the funnel maybe is where sort of the magic happens or is that just nonsense look i think um it's not nonsense but one thing i'll say is that marketing now is very different it is far more um measurable and you've got to love the data yeah. because the data is a human being and i always say you can have lots of data but if you don't actually know how to humanize that data and think about that's that's actually when you build better products you build better customer experiences you actually waste less of that 50 percent you know where that 50 percent is going right. um and actually understanding that data asset really means you're understanding your customer and able to you know do better by them so i do think that magic is is a little bit more scientific these days Fair so the data is a human being uh Please, that needs to be the title of your book. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, 
that that's really good. Uh, so, Nicole, you're also the pre- a, a president, yes. president of the retail Australian Retailers Association. What yeah. what what what's that about? Well, the Australian Retailers Association is the largest um, and oldest retailers association in the country. It has been around for around 120 years, and it has you know over 8,000 members. And there's retailers that are from hairdressers to small retailers oh, okay. to the big ones such as West Farmers and Woolworths and Coles and, you know, everybody. Um, lots of franchisees, Australia Post. Um, and, uh, yeah, the 8,000 members are pretty active and we're a really, really important association during COVID where we really fought to get keep the stores open and, and, and really had a big voice to play and continue to have a very big voice to play. So you spent time, maybe not physically in Canberra, but um, during COVID, mm. you would have been, you know, lobbying. Yeah, well, mine is, you know, obviously as president I'm kind of, um, it's a volunteer role. So really the, the CEO, Paul Zara, has, spends a lot of time in Canberra and yeah. his team. Yeah. yeah, that's a big part of the role that we play. Uh, uh, and, and, and so give us a bit of a clue about, you know, what's, what's afoot right now for retailers. So the Retailers Association, they're concerned with or they're celebrating or, you know, like we're, we're, what's the latest agenda item? Well, look, I think um, it really has been a largely lots of different areas but I would say off the top of my head um, Omnichannel's been really critical like you know actually digital digitally getting ourselves ready especially during COVID. Um, I think um, obviously um, what, what's been happening in CBDs and getting CBDs to open up again which has been really great news. Um, at the moment obviously the workplace labour laws are a very big you know concern and we're you know, a very active participant in, Cam- participant in Canberra around that. Sustainability, you know, we, yeah. well, we waste a lot of plastics. We, we have a lot of our carbon footprints very high, particularly in e-commerce where, you know, we've got a lot of trucks on the road and planes in the sky. So we have yeah. a very strong sustainability agenda. But anything that is really important as an industry to galvanise because we're better when we go together and ARA is really powerful in making that happen uh, I, so sustainability it's a it's a fascinating one for me because you know the hurdles that we need to jump um what let's say 40 40 percent or thereabouts by 2030 reduction yeah zero by 2050 so h- how are we actually going to do that yeah it's a great question and it's something that you know i don't it's an interesting to give ourselves that target when i think a lot of retailers i speak to don't know how yet right but you've got to have that goal like right. we absolutely have to have it for the planet i think that those um steps you know um you know every bunnings for example has solar panels on it now you know um when everyone new building that we have we're really you know um clever about electricity about our footprint right. um you know where we can carbon offset we do i think just you absolutely have to put it as as part of your your mandate and, and keep working it and, and every team member it's not a you know a chief sustainability officer that sits there and it's that that team that does it actually it's got to be part of your operating rhythm it's got to be part of your assessment for every business case needs to have a sustainability component to it so back to digital the digi- digital world where did you what point in your career did you say mm, that's where I'm going to go I mean I, I know that there's growth there's success to be had how long ago like, I would love to think that I'd made that conscious decision. But I tell you, so I was a failed lawyer and I went, I was working um, in my, you know, in, so doing an internship and the general counsel called me into his office and I'll be forever grateful because he said, you know, you are such a rubbish lawyer. You're going to make, you know, what, do not, can I just say, uh. you, the thing is, in, in the legal world, Nicole, you've got to give 
clients, you know, their um, options and you, you don't give your opinion and you, right. you've got to balance out the risks. And he said, but you're so quick to make a judgment and you've got, you've got to do this, that's crazy. And he said, I think you should go into the commercial world. Right. And he said, so if I was you when you finish uni, I would try and get a graduate role in a commercial field. And I'll never forget that because I was like, what? And I was so, anyway, luckily I got a job at Telstra, which was um, at the time they were looking for graduates that were not engineers because they had yeah. lots of engineers and lots of assessments, etc. And I did a rotation, three months in customer service, three months in sales and three months in... Um, yeah in uh, marketing and at the end of it there was this new area called Telstra Multimedia right. and uh, I never forget the fact that I was offered this role in Telstra Multimedia and Telstra Payphones also had offered me a role and Payphones were paying more and I came home and we just got married and I said to my husband he goes I think this internet thing might be a good one to <laughs> well done I know good and on you hubby yeah, that's right <laughs> so and that's where my love affair started and we launched oh. Big Pond and I had like yes. yeah, it's all of that amazing experience so I've always and to be honest with you, my best experience was actually on the phones, on the contact centre. Because right. when you have to answer a customer every single day that cannot use the product and they go, I don't, you know, and you're saying, but you press the red button and they're yeah. like, I, I can't see red, there's no red button. And I was like, yes, it is there. You realise it doesn't matter how great the technology is. If the customer doesn't know how to use it, right. you have failed. And so that's been kind of the mantra in my career about and customer experience. And a pretty experience. awesome time to be a Telstra. I'm just sort of, I was just trying to sort of, you know, get the numbers right on my head. Um, when you were at Tel- well Big Pond, right? yeah. so you you would have been there at a very innovative and creative and interesting time. Yeah, fabulous time. It was and, amazing. Yeah, so and as a result, learned a whole lot, I yes. imagine, and yeah. almost sort of maybe that blend where all of a sudden a Telstra, Big Pond, hang on, maybe we're in the media business, and therefore that leads to you being excited about a media opportunity. Yeah, well, look, I was sort of back then pretty ambitious so I, I kind of when you start as the graduate you're kind of six years on and you're going like when do I get to lead a team I was lead a product manager and yeah. you know but lead the team and of course online was starting to take off so I, I kind of took an opportunity um, to to do something where with 9 MSN had launched and 7 West had owned Pacific magazines and they didn't want yeah. to do a joint venture but they knew that with you know that ACP at the time were going to do big things possibly with 9MSN. So I became the general manager of online. I had to get all these websites up and running. And that was a really different experience because when you're in a big company like Telstra where everyone's kind of innovative and but, you know, you've still got all this revenue coming in which is kind of your, you know, the, your phone revenue at the time, mm. your landline revenue, you can sort of take some risks. When you're in a business like media where the margins are pretty slim, yeah. you really have to make some decisions about how you build that product out as effectively as possible and really at the time it was before we even had banner ads we didn't even know how to measure we had no like you know there was no digital rating so you were literally launching new sites and that at that time the innovation came out really because I recognized the opportunity in the youth market and we had some youth magazines that were quite small but they're online they were growing and there was a lot of money from advertisers who didn't know how to attract to this youth market so we just made games and we skin games for, you know, whether it was Hasbro or Mattel and, and, and kids had come home from school and they were the ones using those internet products back in, I mean, this is like 97, 98. Yeah, you and, know, pay- and, and mum and dad are paying yeah. subs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So. <gasps> On a visa. <laughs> they're still wondering how to get rid of it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so now, okay, so... Because there's Foxtel in, on the CV. There's also News Corp on the, C- yeah. on the CV. So yeah. it's News Corp first. No, Foxtel was first. Okay. So I went from... Again, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So I went there. At the time, um, 
I went as the GM, general manager of the Lifestyle Channels. Lifestyle was quite small at the time. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, I my earmark. Um, they've dropped that now, sadly. It's been a while. No, bring it back. Yeah, bring it back. I'm with you. Um, and so the, the – but that was an amazing – because I'd, I'd had a decade in – in media, and I'd, by the time I'd left Pacific or Seven West, I'd also was a publisher, so I'd done print. But I realised yes. that actually what I needed to do was learn video because the future of digital was going to be video. And so when Foxtel came around, it was kind of like a bit of another sideways move, but it was just, I mean, I've always wanted to learn in any job I go. I thought I'm going to learn opportunity to, to, to learn video. It was the best decision I made right. because Freeview was launching yeah, and, and we had to protect all of our rights. Yes. So having a bit of a legal background helped and we protected our rights. It was a, you know, they couldn't launch a free channel in Lifestyle. And, and really then we launched Lifestyle Food, we launched Lifestyle Home, Lifestyle You and the, the franchise really grew to, to be, a, you know, Grand Designs Australia, Selling Houses Australia. We bought formats out that, you know, and really started to make that genre very powerful. And I had a great time there. And then Kim Williams went to go, he yeah, was CEO of Foxtel, he went off to news and oh. I remember texting him going, oh my God, I can't believe you're going to print, you know, good luck with that and he wrote back and said, <laughs> you're coming with me. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, like I was it. like, oh no. Well, I tell you, I, I remember walking into Kim Williams' office uh, when he was running Foxtel, he knew his business. Yeah, very, very, he's very astute, he's a great guy. Oh, he, yeah. he's he, amazing, he, amazing. He knew every number, didn't he? Yeah. And then off to News Corp and yep, he dragged you along there. Yeah, he right. did and right. at that time, there was a business called News Magazines and there was another one called News Digital Media and Kim decided that they were better together, that we were going to keep the digital assets separate. So the digital assets went back to the newspapers. So if yep. you were the Australian, also ran the Australian.com.au and then all of the free assets came to me. Yep. So that was taste.com.au, news.com.au, all of those fabulous Wonderful digital assets, and and of course the magazines as well. So you know Vogue and and uh, Delicious and Donna Hay and all of those. So that was a, that was an amazing opportunity. But that was a transformation because you had one business that was a very big business but in decline, and you had another business that was actually losing money but yeah. was the growth engine. So how you culturally manage the two and bring them together was really interesting. So media, um, somewhat addictive, um, but then maybe well, Oz Post. Yeah, so I mean, I had sort of two decades in media, and I got to the to the point that I really wanted to try something completely different. Now, Australia Post was not the plan. I'll be honest. <laughs> at the time, I had a pro, you know, I had my list of what I was looking for next. I'd been, you know, I'd been at News Corp for a decade by then, and uh, spoke to quite a lot of people, and a number of actually great recruiters and and others said, you know, I think you'd be great in retail, or you know, and I kind of went, I'm going to, I'm ready to be a CEO. I want to do a technology yeah. company yeah. Um, and uh, I was in a final stage interview for an ASX listed and a recruiter rang me and said, oh, can you just see Christine Holgate because she needs uh. to get someone to run consumer, comp, um, this this area of consumer which has a all the post office network but it also has digital and data in it and the customer service. So it, it And I said, I, I'm, I don't think I'd work well at Australia Post. I'm not a government type of person. I'm too commercial. And they're like, just go and have a conversation. Right, and so I, I walked in the office and the first thing I said, Christine, I want you to know I'm in final stages and I really want this other opportunity. She goes, that's okay because, Nicole, I want you to know that I've, I need someone with pure retail experience. So, But I just thought, you know, why not meet? And then within, I think, 10 minutes of talking to each other, she started telling me the role and she said, I just haven't been able to fill it. And she started saying, you know, it's leading 20,000 people and it's kind of transforming, etc. And I said, oh, okay, so yes. you're not, this isn't leading retail, this is leading a movement because the, the change has got to come from the people. It can't actually come from right. leadership. And she went spot on. Do you want to do it? And I yeah. was like, yeah, I kind of do. You're better, right? <laughs> but it was a new position. Yeah. So, so created for you. 
Uh, well, it was created. And then in you her filled new, it. Yeah, I filled it, yeah. Okay, and what did you learn at Post? Oh, I learned so much. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's such an extraordinary organisation because in terms of the, I mean, you know, regional and remote Australia, that you, you know, you're in every postcode in the country. You touch so many people. Yep. You know, where there's fires or floods, you're there to help. And so this sense of purpose is so strong. But at the same time, you know... Um, the obligation and the expectation of you is very, very high. And that, and that in itself is expensive to operate in, in the same time that your business is in decline because the male business is in decline. And whilst parcels are growing, the margin in delivering to all of those postcodes is very, very slim. Yeah. And so understanding – I'd been in digital for 20 years, but I'd never really run supply chain. And understanding that and understanding the complexity of that – so, you know, I love transforming the post office network. It's still – it'll be forever transformed. Like, you know, it's the licensees are absolutely fabulously passionate small business operators, but then they're crazy. <laughs> so there's a lot of work in managing that network. But I think, you know, the, the real the real opportunity is, is was actually in those delivery points. And, and that worked, has worked really well at West Farmers because actually when you're running an e-commerce business, you can have the best customer experience. Right, and but if you don't get that product to that customer when they want it... Right, well, well you know, matter. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, you did say earlier that we're old. We're, we're old, but we're not really old. <laughs> no. You, you're, you, you are an incredible success, Nicole. I oh. mean, we're, we're, no, what you've done, where you've got to at serious organisations, tough organisations as well. Um, you know, you've risen to the top of those tough organisations. So I want to know. Uh, there's talent, obviously. There's talent, and there's brains. What else? Oh, look, you just. I mean, I've. I mean, it, I think it's all about people, right? It's the mentors that you have, the sponsors that you have, <clears throat> the teams. You know, I haven't done it on my own. I've just, I've just had great teams of people. And my team, you know, I look at my team all the time and think, how do I help them be even better than they are and how do they help me? And mm. so for me, it's always been, you know, working with great people. And I have had great mentors, whether it's and, – and sponsors, whether it's, you know, Kim or Christine or, you know, people that I worked for 20 years ago that, you know – you know, Judy Slattier, like, yeah. was my first boss at Telstra and gave me so many challenges and opportunities. So for me, you, you just need to, you know, realise that you don't do it on your own and you're actually part of a team, even at home, right? Four kids, husband with a big job, lots of got craziness going on. You know, I relied on friends and my, you know, mum and my mother-in-law, like everyone had to chip in. And yeah. so I haven't done it on my own. It's been a lot of other things. So one itch that maybe hasn't been scratched yet is... Um well, I'm, I'm going to sort of go tech startup territory uh, in that – so we've got Foxtel and we've got News, we've got Telstra, mm. we've got West Farmers, we've got Ozpost, big, serious mm. corporates. Um, I'm going, oh, gee whiz, um, there, there, must have been a, there must be a scratch there or something that you want to itch or maybe not. Yeah, look, it, it, I always thought that would be where I go but there's something for me – like all of the places I've worked are Australian iconic companies. Yeah. So I've always gone, I don't want to be a country manager of a big global business. That, that's a, they're still really serious and important roles. Yeah. But for me, when you work for an Australian icon, there's something you're giving back to the country as well. Now, I think startups are incredible. And I just haven't been, haven't had the right opportunity to present itself. But, you know, like, yeah, I'm not that old. You're no, right. Exactly. So there's plenty of time. Life's, <laughs> life's long, right? Yeah. So when you look at us, I, I want to talk about Australia. Yeah. Right? So... When you look at um, our country, well, one of the things that we've discovered um, in our consulting business is that there's a bit of a gap between how the how the world sees us and how we see ourselves. In that, the world sees us as actually being 
very successful and very good at what we do, mm. um, world leading in many in many ways, and yet we don't really look at ourselves like that. Or I'm mean, I'm going to assume you, you agree with that, but is there a gap there that we need to close, or is that just is there something attractive about that modesty? Um, look, I think I mean we've got some incredible success stories in this country. Look at Atlassian and Afterpay. Like, look, do you just think of you know uh, yeah. there are some amazing startups that turn into big business. I do think um, I remember when I'm, I'm a member of Chief Executive Women CEW, and at the time um, I was chairing of the annual dinner committee, and I got Joe Horgan to do the address for that started up Mecca. What a star! She's amazing. But you know when she tells the story that she went to thirteen you know, investment firms, banks, VCs to get funding for Mecca. And it was only on the 14th time when she went with her husband who was a VCG consultant that they got the yeah, funding. Yeah. You know, I, I do actually think that's one of the biggest challenges. Like one of my closest friends tried really hard to get a startup in Australia going and she had to move to Dallas. Right. And she's just sold that business, the tot. And um, But she had seven years in Dallas and it's a big successful business and she's done extremely well and I, I'm really sad that she couldn't do it here. So I think that we have enormous success stories. We are innovative. Our people do exceptionally well in whatever market they're in but it really is about actually that commitment. And, you know, I, what you're seeing at the moment in this very difficult uh, economic times is people are mo- like we used to um, invest a lot in potential and we're only really investing in performance now ah. where we're being very short term we need outcomes we're worried about the climate with you know interest rate rises etc and i i worry about that i worry about what do, what do we miss when we don't actually you know take a risk on some of those potential opportunities yeah and so what can we do about that i mean i mean for me it's it's cultural um you know you, uh, you think about Seek, for example. Yeah. So if Seek was an American business, yeah. th- there'd already be you know twelve books and seven movies you know, <laughs> <laughs> about about that story. Yeah. So I don't know. We're not good storytellers, maybe. Um, maybe. I mean, look, I I still I, I'm not sure. I, I think there's a little bit of that. I think we have a we, our our kind of bar is very high on when when to call success <laughs> like you know like so americans call success very early like they win the you know I what like i mean it. you know whereas our bar's bloody high I before like you it. go yeah. we've made it and you know i think that we never quite think we're always climbing to the next goal so we don't call you know we don't put the flag up yet so i think that's part of our dna I just love that as a thought because I think you're right. The Americans call it earlier. Yeah, right? I've made it because you know I've got to. I'm a state manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whereas right. we won't be. We won't be happy with that success. No. And in fact, we probably never are happy with where, where you know, generally we. But it does feel like that's pretty right. Or maybe that's our generation. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully, uh, the younger younger folk are happy to just go for it and not um, not feel constrained. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> okay, so back to West Farmers. Yep. And what you're doing there. Uh, is there any – it strikes me that that's a, it's a huge like, – like that's a task of global proportions given the size of West Farmers. So are there, are there any parallels around the world that you can say X has done it, I, I, you know, I can, see, I can see the shape of the future because, you know, company or corporate X is, is sort of helping me work out the best path? Um, the short answer is there's nothing quite like West Farmers because it's a conglomerate, um, and so each of its you know its 
it's each of its businesses run it as a business. It's completely divisional autonomy is, yeah. is kind of part of the DNA of West Farmers. So there are lots of parallels. There's lots of marketplaces around the world. So you've got Mercado Libra, you've got um, Walmart, and they've got Walmart Plus. Um, so there's certainly lots of learnings for subscription programs for digital ecosystems where they've um, you know bought bought a marketplace and integrated it. Yeah. Um, but it's not quite the same, and uh, you know we have searched, but it's, there's no no other conglomerate that's doing this. So I think it's it's pretty bold. Look, at the end of the day, Rob Scott's an incredible CEO, and our, my, I have a board of directors which are who are the MDs of all the retail businesses, uh. and so that means that they also have an independent interest to ensure that we you know that one digital is also successful. Okay, so I asked you earlier about customer experience to help me understand a little more about what that actually is. Yeah, and omnichannel. Uh, and the other one, which, again, I pretended I knew what people were talking about, Marketplace. Yeah. What is it? So, well, Marketplace is a platform where sellers can actually list their products and basically your your and then you can buy products. I mean, you know, eBay is the, the first. Amazon's obviously the big one now. So, um, and the reason Marketplaces are very successful is because you can offer a massive range. Like, oh. you, you just, it's, it's an endless aisle, you know, like, it pretty much you can search and search. And, and um, from a platform perspective, it's attractive because you're not holding inventory. You're not holding the stock that the, the seller is, um, and they're sending that stock out. So that's why they're attractive. Um, there are certain customers that are really a, love marketplaces. They think they're going to get a good deal, and they usually do. They can actually – and the product range, as I said, is pretty – progressive um so normally digital businesses you're either you know combination of what we call first party so your own product that you yep. you know that you get in stores and then third party which is a marketplace so the 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 first party um data is a human being i love that one yeah. um is there a risk though now around for corporates uh, for everyone maybe but let's say corporates whereby there may well be um regulation legislation to say you've got too much data um, I, I don't. I don't know that that would be the risk. I think there's a significant. There will be definitely more regulatory. I mean, there really is. I mean, even with the cyber attacks that happened last year, you're going to see so much more regulatory um, controls put in place, and that's a good thing because at the end of the day, you know. If I give my data, I want something back. There has to be an even exchange, right? But I don't want to know that you've got my data and I haven't agreed to it. So actually that permission set is really, really important. And I think that's where you see a lot of the privacy changes coming in and how you, um, you know, all of that data has to be anonymised um, and, and and really how you build that tech stack and that data um you know, the platform is really critical yeah. because that's, I think, what's going to be more and more, I guess... Um, I don't want to use the word police, but I suspect that's going to be the thing that's going to be checked and, you know, I, I will see the regulators taking an active role in, in, in checking what we're doing. I'm going, to take, I'm going to run an idea past you mm. and you're probably going to say that, that it already exists. So I'm wondering whether data might be unionised and I'll tell you where I'm going there. So if, if data is a human being, mm. so each human's data is being exploited for the benefit of advertisers or for, you know, commerce, let's say. Mm. So... Let's go back 250 years ago. The, the worker bee was being exploited. So the unions were created. So all the individuals would get together and create some a power block so that that power block could deal with the, with the man. Mm. So I wonder whether data will end up being unionised. I can't see it. I can't see it. I mean, I, I think what data will be... We've got to get the balance right between protection and actually um, 
Because what you don't want to be in a position when no one actually wants to collect data anymore because it's just it's, it's too expensive. Like I worry for startups. Ah. If you're going to do a lot of investment, just what you have to build to, to protect that, I think, you know, it's going to be – it's expensive, right? Okay. Yep. And so I think the sheer nature of that, you have to really understand what the business model is and how you're going to monetize that data. Um, and, and, and I think understanding that and making sure you build it in a way that um, respects the – the human being, I guess, and and yeah. you know, dehumanizes it as much as possible. So yeah. you d- you cannot. It's totally anonymized. I think is pretty key. I don't think it, you need a union. Please, no more unions. <laughs> We've got enough unions. <laughs> uh, beautiful. Now this is Freddie. Who, yeah, Freddie's Freddie. the producer. So um, we asked Freddie if he's got a question for our guest. So if you got a, you don't have to have a question for Nicole, but if you do, I do. Thank great. you. Russ. Um, thank you, Nicole. Um, so going back to the the online customer experience, um, if the goal, like you sort of alluded to earlier, is just to uh, reduce friction and yeah. for them to have the most seamless experience possible, are we coming up on the day that we uh, that we solve uh, that we solve the online experience um, that the algorithm the algorithm just figures out what the best online sort of store experience is and then everyone just copies it and if not, why haven't we done that yet? Well, that's a great question. I mean, look at Chat GTV. I mean, that's just taken us by storm, hasn't it? Um, and the algorithms are getting smarter. I don't know. I just think customers are just so individual. You know, like I, it's really hard to to really majorly change or know something at scale mm. because the human beings aren't that predictable. Like there is an element of it, and I'd hate to think that we're all just so same same that an algorithm can work out what we need to do. Um, I do think it'll make it a lot easier. I think it'll make it a lot easier to build those experiences, particularly if you're building it from the ground up. Part of the challenge is when it, we, you don't usually start with a blank sheet of paper. So most of the time you're starting with some old architecture, some tech, you know, you've already got, you know, a customer group. So you kind of have to think through what are the, the layers that I'm building above what I've got. Um but, you know, I mean, we're definitely it's definitely getting smarter. You know, there's mm. no question the algorithms are getting better. But, you know, I just think humans are unpredictable. There's always got to be a human involved. That's my feeling. Yeah, that's beautiful. So now let's go back to Mykonos. So, <laughs> so uh, Nicole, I was just thinking about um, people as brands. Yeah. So if I, was to, if I was to create a brand Parthenon for Nicole Sheffield, I'm going to – yeah. So that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> so in the, in the pillars, I reckon I've got smart, definitely smart. I've got attractive. I've got funny. And I've got tough. These are really, really good pillars to have and ultimately the proposition is irresistibly bright. (laughs) It's fantastic that you've spent some time with us. Thank you very much, Nicole. Thank you for having me. It's been fun.